looking at Exodus 5, and we're going to go verses 1 to 9. We're going to jump to the end and do verses 22 and 23 at the end. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now so many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they have made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. And then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. We are in the age of protest. In a major way, right? Extinction Rebellion, Brexit protests, pro-Brexit protests, anti-Brexit protests, Hong Kong, the situation in China. Actually, the war in Syria started with all those series of protests in the early 2010s called the Arab Spring, and it is still like this geopolitical conflict that is drawing in all the nations of the world. I know. Barcelona, yep. The Catalan independence and those guys thrown in prison. This is the era of protest. And actually, um, I was talking with some other church ministers and they were saying, for us, in the reformist Protestant tradition, should we be joining in with these protests? How come, actually, when you turn on the news, when you look at Extinction Rebellion, whenever the church is mentioned, it's the high church, it's the guys in the robes who are, who are standing out, who are the ones standing up. And there don't seem to be that many of us free church, as URC, Baptist guys, in the mix. And here, in Exodus 5, we have the original protest passage, right? We have Moses and Aaron going to Pharaoh to protest against slavery, to protest against injustice. And I really felt today that actually maybe we need to dig into this because there's been lots of stuff in the news about how the constant protest, particularly the messages around the environment and Extinction Rebellion, particularly the messaging around Brexit, is leading to anxiety, is leading to depression, is leading to our young people experiencing suicidal thoughts at a rate we've never seen before. Because all of this protest and very little movement and very little change is leading to hopelessness. Whether that's the North African states that wanted to join in the Arab Spring and have just seen nothing change, or whether that's 
either side of the Brexit debate getting louder and louder and angrier and angrier, and yet there doesn't seem to be solutions coming from it. What does God say and speak into this reality, into the reality of protest? Well, let's set the scene. First of all, we have two Levites, Moses and Aaron, coming to town saying, please can we go and celebrate a festival? Now, for those of you who've been in church for any time at all, there's loads in that that will kind of draw up your, like, your Bible memory, right? Who are the Levites? Well, they're the priesthood. So they, of course they would lead some sort of festival, some sort of procession. But we need to place ourselves where we are in this story. The Levites were the cursed tribe out of the 12. Levi responded to uh, the defilement of his sister by going and tricking a whole town and slaughtering them against his father's wishes. And at the end of Genesis, just a few chapters before we get here in chapter 5, and we encounter Moses and Aaron trying to stand up for the people, they are cursed. They are told that they are not the people who can inherit land. In fact, when their father prays for them, he says, actually pray that you would be scattered in the land. So these are known as the impulsive fighters. These are the hotheads, the vigilantes amongst the 12 tribes. And that's borne out even further on in the story. When the people of Israel rebel, it's the Levites who come to Moses' side and then swing through their own people, cutting them down. There's a zealousness, there's a passion that actually often seems quite bloodthirsty. And in the case of Moses in particular, the way that he interceded when uh, an Egyptian and an Israelite were arguing seems to cause more trouble than it ever solves. This is Moses who has said to God, I have a heavy tongue, I can't speak. And some commentators have said, well, oh, Moses must have had a stammer or a speech impediment. And yet, whenever we go later in Exodus or Numbers or Deuteronomy, Moses seems to speak very eloquently to the people of Israel and at length on his own. Maybe actually his heavy tongue is just the fact that he's always getting himself in trouble. He's got foot and mouth disease, that he's always speaking out of turn and saying the wrong thing. So these two hotheads from the hothead tribe come to Pharaoh. I mean, if we were to think of protesters, here we go. These are the guys who would superglue themselves to the pyramids, right? And say, no, they'd be the people on top of the Sphinx being dragged down by the commuters. Not that the Sphinx is the equivalent of the tube, but you get, you get my point, right? These are the guys who are going to go and stand up, going to be in their multicolored bathtubs and holding their banners and shouting in the background of BBC reporters trying to do their little piece to the nightly news. But they don't want a festival, do they? Is this a lie? Has God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and lie to bring about his plans and his purposes? Is this Middle Eastern bartering? Actually, if you look at the back and forth, they say, let our people go, and Pharaoh says no. And then he says, well, you could do it in this land, or maybe just the men could go, or maybe you could go without your cattle. Actually, I think there's something a little deeper and richer than that going on. They only have the first step, which is to go and celebrate, to go and meet with God. And we see in Exodus 24 that sacrifice being fulfilled. And what is that sacrifice? It's the starting of a new covenant. It's to commit themselves 
to a new king, to a new authority, the Lord, to come under his godship, his rulership. But Pharaoh responds, actually in a fairly rational way, we might think, who is the Lord? Moses is trying to convince Pharaoh here of a divine encounter. That is the way he is trying to win freedom for his people. Let me tell you about this spiritual moment I've had. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. But notice the difference. When God meets with Moses, he says, who am I? But when God speaks to Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Who is he? And what has Moses got to say to him? God hasn't given his name, remember? I am that I am. That phrase is a really deep and rich phrase to translate. It has multiple kind of layers and meanings and tenses all within it. One valid way of translating it is, I am he who is. As in, I am the God who exists. Unlike the other gods. Or another way of translating it is, I will be who I will be. Which I think is a deeply provocative phrase when we consider that the rest of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, constantly refers to the God who brought you out of Egypt. And God says, I will be that God. But you can't call me that God yet because we've not walked that journey together. That's the scene that God is starting to set. Something about coming through this process is going to reveal who he is. That's going to be really important to where we get to at the end of today. And then Moses responds by saying, but if you don't let us go, we're going to be hit by pestilence and sword. There's something really interesting in this. I think often as Christians, we have this mindset of miracles, of supernatural, of God doing something he, he wouldn't do in nature. And actually, if we read Exodus, Exodus, they're not miracles, but they're wonders. And that's a slightly different thing. God doesn't just with invisible arms, push the sea aside, but he causes a wind to blow and push back the waters. And here, Moses is saying, if you don't let us go, God will humble us through circumstance. God is working in and through the process and in and through what we're going through. And actually, I think maybe that's an important message for us in the age of protest. We might be looking for a spiritual meaning behind all this, for a miraculous meaning of why Brexit, why this? And actually, God is working through the mess of natural processes. And he will bring about his plans and his purposes. So we've set the scene here. A festival. A question of who God is. A question of how God works in and through situation. And then Pharaoh, in his position of power, responds in two ways. Why are you taking them away from their work? This is a vocative phrase that occurs again and again through the chapters of Exodus. Pharaoh hardened his heart. But then God hardens Pharaoh's heart. But then Pharaoh's heart was hardened. The writer is trying to make this subtle point about the sovereignty of God. God is working in and through this in such a way that we can see he is bringing about his plans and his promises, and yet at the same time, there are bad individuals and there are bad systems. There are bad things in place that God is opposing and working through at the same time. 
one of those mysteries of God's sovereignty and human agency and, and our role to play. But Pharaoh responds by saying, the people of the land. He almost spits it out. The people of the land, the underclass. Those who work down there. Not us. The powerful dehumanize the poor. They neglect the poor. They look at protesters as a nuisance, as a burden on the police, as a price to pay, as annoying people who delay our morning commute, which we've probably all felt here at points. But what's really interesting is not how Pharaoh the powerful responds. In some ways, Pharaoh responds how he expects every king to respond to protests. How we expect Middle Eastern despots to respond to protesters. It's how the people, those who should be protesting themselves, respond. See, Pharaoh says, get your own straw. And I think there's an image in that that I think is quite powerful for us right now. There's an image of us trying to scrape mud together. Us trying to bring structure and order and a way forward. Politically, socially, environmentally. All these different things that we're trying to grasp with at the moment. That is worldwide. This move of identity politics and extremism. That is occurring on every continent on this planet. We're trying to, to build something. And yet what we're doing is we're squelching mud without straw. We've not got the structure. We've not got the order. We've not got those building blocks on which to, to go upwards with. And they're called to stub for stubble, is what the Hebrew literally says. They stubble for straw. They're trying to get little bits of, of dirt and mud and twig and just try and put some structure together. All the while being called lazy, being called liars, being told that they still have to fill their quota. And I think that's the feeling of protesters. I think there's a feeling of powerless right now. There's a feeling of trying to pull something together. And I think the church isn't quite sure what its voice should be in all of this. I think some in the church are tying their flag to very particular masts, to politics, to parties, to ways forward. And yet, and yet, if we're not careful, we can be guilty of doing what the, what the people of God do here. They cry out. It's the same word that we've seen earlier in Exodus, that God has heard the cries of his people. But in 5.15, who do they cry out to? They cry out to Pharaoh. They seek solace in the very thing that is strangling them. They look to power as a way of breaking free from oppression. Again, I think there's something in what the church is maybe in parts trying to do in responding to protest, responding to this movement. Maybe if we get in places of power, maybe if we are alongside the right politicians, maybe if we are photographed in the right newspapers, we'll be able to provide some structure and build forward and lead a way through in this way of protest. But it gets deeper than that. Not only did they look to Pharaoh to solve their issues, but they start to internalize the blame that has been placed upon them. The people of the land turn to Moses and Aaron and they say, 
you have made us obnoxious. You have made us offensive, in verse 21. Literally, the Hebrew is, we stink. We're smelly. They don't want to be around us. They internalize the treatment that they're getting. The blame put upon them by the powerful turns into shame that they live from. And actually, again, facing the crisis that maybe the church is facing, not just the external crisis of politics, but the internal crisis of churches being ever more divided, ever more factional, of more and more churches closing, of us trying to arrest a decline of numbers, particularly in the UK and in the West. We've taken on the blame and the aggression and the message of the outside, and we've become, we've become quiet. We've become full of shame, criticizing ourselves. And yet, and yet, we're going to come on to chapter 6 now. Here's what I really feel like God wants to say to us as a church, as individuals, and as church community today. Why has God done this? Because the protest has just led to more pain. Well, first of all, God says in 6 verse 1, Now you will not be let go, but you will be driven out. I think God wants to drive us out from the culture. I think God wants to drive us out from a society that is formless and shapeless, that is shaping itself around feelings and selfism and the individual. God wants to push us out from that as much as he can. And I think some of the pain and some of the protest that we are going through is part of God wanting to drive us, wanting to use this circumstance to take us to where he wants to go because he knows that if we're just let go, we'll wander back. But if we're driven out, we won't go back looking to the culture for our affirmation, for the church's place in society, for our place in society. And then God says, he wants to reveal himself like never before, both to the Israelites and to the Egyptians. God says he wants to remember his people. God says he wants to redeem his people. And actually, in the midst of political protest here, in the midst of these two fiery Levites standing up and standing against the head of one of the most powerful kingdoms we have ever seen on this planet, God uses the intimate language of marriage, of covenant, of relationship. He talks about Israel as his firstborn, as a child, as his most cherished, precious possession. And actually, I think we could respond to Extinction Rebellion and Boris Johnson and a whole sort of other things with despair or frustration or anger. And yet, God wants to turn our crying out as a church into an intimate moment. God wants to bring us into a new relationship. I think God wants to be the king of his church again. I think God wants to be the king of this world once again. And actually, in the midst of all that we're going through, I think the question is, for us, who is the Lord? 
who is the Lord? Are we responding to the news by signing another petition? Are we responding to the news by turning on? There's Brexit sky free, uh, Brexit free news on Sky now. I don't know if you've seen that. Are we just trying to avoid the B word? Or, in the midst of all this, are we asking God, who are you and who are we, the people of God? Let's stand and let's respond to that word together in our hearts and in worship. Father God.